few downstairs, so if the television's on and you're down there. I don't have any other announcements to give you uh, than what's in your bulletin. It is a delight for us to have um, Tim and Katie and Thaddeus with us uh, today. I told Tim, I, Tim and I speak on the phone every so often, and I told him the last time, I think it was the last time we spoke, that I still have on my voice machine, the phone machine, his first phone call, this guy saying, I'm getting ready to graduate from Southern Seminary and we'd like to come to Southern Michigan and be a part of Reformed Baptist Church and, and so forth. And so I called him back and, and we've had connections ever since. Um, right now it doesn't look like he's coming to this part of Southern Michigan, even though you're always welcome to. But uh, we're delighted that we've been able to maintain that contact. I've, have, I've asked him to um, share with us how we could best pray for them before he begins to preach so you can have a better idea how to do that. So when he comes, he'll be doing that as well. But we're delighted they're here and thankful for the friendship and the relationship that we've developed with them. Well, now take your Trinity hymn books and turn to number 35, Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise, number 35 in the Trinity hymn book. Let's stand together as we sing. <clears throat> Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light inaccessible, hid from our eyes, most blessed, most glorious, the ancient.
Amen. You can be seated. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 is where we find ourselves. I will be reading um, just verses 1 through 6 today because I believe after that begins a passage that extends on into uh, chapter 12. And so we'll save that uh, as a unit uh, for next week, fitting that the end of the book will show the young man what it's like uh, to be old. So we'll be looking at that uh, next week. But in uh, this portion in verses 1 through 6, he rebukes our miserliness, our tendency to be miserly. In verses 1 and 2, in verse 3, he rebukes complaining at the way things are, things that are outside of our control. And then in verses 4 and 5, he rebukes sloth, if you will, giving undue concern about uh, the situation uh, that we're in and and waiting uh, for a better time. It's not time uh, to do what you know you should be doing. And then in verse, uh, that was verse, verses 4 and 5. And then in verse 6, he will end with some excellent counsel for, of course, not just young men, because these have a higher application than just this life, and that is the uh, spiritual application. And Charles Spurgeon has a, a wonderful sermon uh, on verse 4, where, he, uh, where the, Solomon says, He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. And I just want to read one ex- excerpt from that to uh, hopefully uh, give you a desire to uh, see the rest of this sermon. But he says, But next, in the work of liberality, this would stay us, verse 4, This is Solomon's theme here. Cast your bread upon the waters. Give a portion to seven and also to eight and so on. He means, by my text, that if anybody occupies his mind unduly with the difficulties connected with liberality, he will do nothing in that line. And then he quotes again, Hebrews, uh, or he that observes the wind will not sow. He that regards the clouds will not reap. And then he quotes this hypothetical person, and and this is so uh, me, I believe, I'm not the only one, says, how am I to know, says one, that the person to whom I give my money is really deserving? How do I know what he will do with it? How do I know but what I may be encouraging idleness or begging by giving to that man? I may be doing him real injury. Have you ever said anything similar to that? And Of course, there is to be uh, diligence and knowing the worthiness of the cause uh, that we are giving to. But here, it's hyperbole perhaps, but the Lord uses the same uh, method when he says, Give to him that asks you, and from him that would borrow of you, do not turn away. 
makes it very simple and very plain. Err on the side of <laughs> uh, giving <laughs> something unworthy, I guess, is what he's saying. Anyway, the whole sermon is just such a re- was such a rebuke um, to me, and and yet an encouragement in in spiritual things. I, I encourage you to read that. You can find it quickly for at no charge on Blue Letter Bible. Well, let me give just a, one more plug <laughs> of the Blue Letter Bible if you're not familiar with that. So back to uh, verses 1 and 2, the rebuke to our miserliness. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. And many uh, think this is the practice of when the Nile overflowed its banks, you would cast the seed on top of the water, and then the water would recede, and the, and the grain would grow, and you would find it uh, many days later. Divide your portion to seven, or even to eight, for you do not know what calamity may occur on the earth. He that waters will be watered uh, himself. And there are those who withhold more than is fitting, and it tends to their poverty. Remember in the Proverbs? And there's those who give liberally, and yet they get even richer. And those things definitely apply spiritually. I love verse 3. If clouds are full, they empty the rain upon the earth. And whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. Uh, one quote I heard in a, in a movie one time, and they said, it reminded me of this verse, when something happens... There's no sense wishing that it hadn't. Don't complain about the way things are, because the way things are is the way things are. And where the tree falls, uh, that's where it lies. Deal with what is in front of you. Verse 4, he who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap, just as you do not know the path of the wind and how the bones are formed in the womb, of the pregnant woman, woman, so you do not know the work of God who works all things. Interesting, uh, the legacy standard uh, regarding verse 5 says that many manuscripts have, you do not know how the spirit enters the bones in the womb. So there's so much we don't know. And so we have a choice um, before us. What are we going to do with it? Well, we can throw up our hands and say, why try? And Spurgeon gives an ex- excellent application about uh, people being born again and evangelism. And he says, we don't know how the Spirit of God does his work, do we? So what do we do? Not do anything? No. And this was the great rebuke to me of, of all the litany of besetting sins that I have, one that's very close to the top, if not on top, is not speaking of Christ to everyone I know. Has everyone you ever worked with heard you speak about Christ? I cannot say that they have. And that uh, rebukes me and, and gives you an opportunity uh, to pray for me. Confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another that you might be healed. So we don't throw up our hands and say, why try? But we throw bread everywhere. You don't need to pray for opportunities to witness. Do you ever talk to anybody? 
there's your opportunity. It doesn't have to be an evangelistic call. Uh, you know, we're just foot soldiers. So here's the good advice. In closing, verse 6, sow your seed in the morning and do not put your hands down in the evening for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. Well, now before Tim comes to open the word, take again your Trinity hymn books, 370. 370, we have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around work or wherever you're at, we just heard. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. 370. Let's stand together as we sing. Try to, I'll try to enunciate as well. Oh, I may not have been as close to the mic as I needed to be. Um, thank you so much, friends, for having us. We are so glad we got to be here today with you all. I'm very thankful that I get to look at the word with you again this afternoon. Uh, you could be praying for our church back in Louisville. And you could be praying for two families uh, specifically who have been expecting babies. And just yesterday, we, we have an email chain where any member of the church can send out a, a message to everyone else. Uh, just yesterday, we heard that one of those couples, who are not, we are not real close with this couple, 
found out that they have had a miscarriage. And then the second couple have not had a miscarriage, but they, I want to say they are 16 weeks along, and their baby has been diagnosed with something that fewer than 50% of uh, babies in the womb typically survive this diagnosis. So both of those, both of those couples are obviously heartbroken. Um, I'm sure they, I'm sure our church prayed for them this morning. But if you could be in prayer for those two families specifically at our church, we would really love that and appreciate that. Um, Katie and I are very glad to be here. We're very glad to have Thaddeus here. We're glad that he's gotten to yell and say hello to all of you um, this morning. Um, yeah, I was looking, Cliff, you read Ecclesiastes 11, verse 5, as, as you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. So, yeah, please pray for those two families. We've Our senior pastor right now is preaching through 2 Corinthians, and at the start of that book, Paul says, he says, uh, blessed be the the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, I think he says, who comforts us in all our afflictions. So please pray for those families there. Pray for them to be comforted in their afflictions. So right now, you all, if you all would turn with me to the end of Matthew's Gospel. Um, when I finished high school, I enlisted in the military, and I spent one enlistment in the Marines. And in basic training in boot camp, one of the, one of the aspects of training that we had to go through was basic first aid. And I think that the, the fancy name they gave it was the Combat Lifesavers course. And the point of the Combat Lifesavers course is not at all for you it's not med school. It's not even EMT training. Uh, potentially, if, if I were to do something like that in the real world, I don't know if I would be sued for malpractice. But it's very basic, right? It's, it's someone who is in a dire situation, and you, as someone with minimal training, are going to try to address it to the best of your abilities right there in the moment just to sustain them uh, for the future where they can receive a fuller treatment, right, a, a fuller rundown of, of what is ailing them. So I don't remember almost anything from the Combat Lifesavers course, but I remember these four, these four uh, bullet points that they ran us through. Uh, if you come across someone who's been wounded, any, any number of ways, right, that someone can be wounded, but uh, this is what I remember. Restore the breathing, stop the bleeding, protect the wound, and treat for shock. So those those four things. If you know someone's been shot, someone's been blown up, uh, could be all sorts of causes, right? Uh, a gunshot wound, a sucking chest wound. Uh, they've stepped on an IED, a pressure plate, and they need a tourniquet. So, but you don't you don't necessarily need to understand all of the ins and outs of the circulatory system. Um, Again, it's not a med school lecture. None of, none of this was real in-depth. It was very basic. So today, I would like to do something kind of similar. I want, to, I want for us to look at the Great Commission and 
I've got I've got two parts in my mind of what what I'd like us to think about. Um, the first the first thing is again what Cliff mentioned. You know, not not every I don't think everyone at my work has has I have not been able to sit down with them and and walk through the the gospel, evangelize them, explain Christianity to them. Um, and I'm I'm guessing the rest of us have not either. Whether you're in school right now. Uh, working at a job, just the the people in the the close radius of your life. Um, I hope you have been able to. That would be wonderful. But if you haven't, I want us to look at the Great Commission, and I want us to do two things after that. I want us to kind of get get a very short outline. I'm gonna gonna have four points of an outline for what you talk through, what to try to talk through when you share the gospel with someone. And then, uh, after that, I would like to think about two things that Matthew tells us that should encourage us when we are face-to-face with that person, having that conversation, and you're nervous, you're intimidated, um, any number of thoughts through your head. To Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, They worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. So, uh, a sermon over this passage. You could you could preach a sermon on on this passage, or teach a Sunday school class on this passage from all kinds of angles, right? Uh, we could think about we could think about how this is a pivotal moment in the story of the Bible in in redemptive history. Jesus has been crucified, he's risen, and now the church age. Is, is really coming into clearer focus uh, compared to the Old Testament times and the, the time in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, we could talk about the Great Commission and how it shapes what local churches do. Uh, we could talk about overseas missions, right, going to all the nations and, and making disciples there. Uh, but we're going to skip all of that. And I want us to think about this passage just in, in terms of, again, like Cliff talked about, personal evangelism when you're having a one-on-one conversation with, with someone, uh, people you know, whether, whether that's families, whether that's coworkers, whether it's fellow students, um, how, how do we share the gospel? So, so I told you already there are two things, uh, two parts that I would like to cover here uh, today. Part one is longer, and it's going to be what what is it that we share when we share the gospel with someone? What what is the content of the good news? And then part two later, we're going to look at the ground and the reassurance that we have in in sharing the gospel. What is it that reassures us when we are sharing the gospel with someone? So first, what what the content is? What what is this good news? What is and these are what they are. God, sin, Christ, and our response. So God, sin, Christ, and how we respond, our response. 
And with those, with those four bullet points, if you think about it, the first two of them are really, they're actually explaining the bad news, right? They're, they're setting, setting the stage and they're going to explain the bad news to us, which is what every, every world religion, every worldview, every philosophy that people hold to, they're all trying to do that kind of thing, right? Why, why are we here as human beings and what is the point of life? Why do we run into the tragedies that we run into in life? Why, why are there, why are there miscarriages? Why is there war? Why, you know, why do, why do any number of things happen in life? Um, and I'm sure you all, like me, you work with people who don't know the first thing about Christianity. Um, either have grown up in households without it or have come from different different countries overseas. So these four things I hope are gonna are gonna help us in our um, gospel conversations that we're able to have. So starting off, setting the stage, explaining explaining kind of the bad news before we get to the good news, we have to start with God, right? And as we talk about God we have to explain that he is righteous and he's holy. He's completely different from us, right? We're, we're made in his image and yet you can't reason yourself from, from a fallen human being to, to knowing what God is like. He has to, he has to reveal himself in, in his word. And he has, thankfully, and we know from books like Deuteronomy. I mean, Deuteronomy is a great example, right? The, the whole law is revealing to us that God is righteous, right? There are things that God does and things of stuff that I'm leaving out there. Attributes of God, uh, major points of the Bible, major points of the Old Testament. Um, you can talk about, you know, he is a spirit. He's spaceless and timeless and immaterial. Um, but, but the fact that he's a righteous and holy God uh, his characteristics and the fact that he's the creator and every single one of us rightfully belong to him, whether you acknowledge that or not, whether your coworkers and friends acknowledge that or not, every one of us is going to stand before him one day, right, and give an account. So that's that's the first point. The second point is sin, right, or or you can think of it as uh, mankind, the the first Adam in the garden, right. The problem, what is the problem to our situation? It starts with Adam and Eve in the garden, but now obviously it affects every single man and woman. It's sin. Um, it's not, you can think through, uh, just think through other worldviews, other religions. Um, what, what will other religions try to explain the problem of um, Yeah, you, you have to, that will only... You'll have to trace the problem back further. Anyway, the problem is with our nature, right? As human beings, as sinful, fallen human beings, the, the problem that your coworkers need to know about is that because Adam fell in the garden, every single person, every single man and woman descended from them is fallen. Um, and you can think through the, the words that the Bible, even in the Old Testament, the words that, that the Bible will use to talk about sin. So, so the word sin actually, actually refers back to uh, in archery, when you shoot your bow and you miss the mark, right? You land wide of, of the right answer or the right action 
uh, what you should have been aiming for. Instead, you, you fall short or you miss the mark. Uh, the word iniquity, when you come across the word iniquity in the Old Testament, uh, it means that there's a bentness, there's a crookedness and a twistedness to our lives. Um, and, and I think most unbelievers, I hope most unbelievers that you know will, will see the reasonableness to that in, in their own lives, acknowledging that, yeah, there are things, there are things that I do that there's a crookedness to me that I don't like. Um, and then finally, transgression, right? Uh, when you transgress something, it's like stepping, stepping over a line. There's a line there that must not be crossed. And I know it must not be crossed, and yet I, I, in high-handed rebellion, I step across that line just because I don't care or just because to prove a point. So, so as we think about sin, um, because of those different things, sin, transgression, iniquity, because of the fall in the garden, we worship the wrong things. Right? Mankind's, mankind's biggest problem is a problem of worship. We no longer worship the one true God, the one true God who made us in his image, who made us for himself. So, so those are the two big, big uh, bullet points so far that are explaining the problem to your friends and your coworkers is God and our, our mankind's problem with sin. Um, if you've ever heard the phrase total depravity, Total depravity, it doesn't mean that we are all as bad as we could possibly be, right? We're, we are not all Hitlers and Stalins. It's, it's not that we're as bad as we can be. It means that we are as bad off as we could possibly be. So the emotions that you feel, the beliefs that you hold to, uh, the desires that, that you feel, our wills, every, every area of our lives and our hearts of what it means to be a human being has all been touched by the fall. So that's the problem. And all of this, all of this results in guilt, guiltiness towards God, right? The, the righteous verdict of being declared guilty for falling short of all his ways, for failing to acknowledge him, for failing to worship him as the one true God. And so, so what's the what's the solution, right? All of every worldview is trying to give us a solution. The solution in Christianity is Christ. It's the Messiah. So, so the third the third bullet point that I'm trying to hit as I'm as I'm having this conversation with a friend in front of me, uh, the third box in my mind that I'm I'm going to reach. I'm going to get to Jesus, and this is where I really I hope that. I can, I can make things as crystal clear as I can of who he is, that, that he's God the Son incarnate, that he's the Messiah, he's God's anointed one. Um, that friend, that coworker that you're sitting down with may not be familiar with the Bible at all. They may not know that there's an Old Testament and a New Testament, but they should know that Jesus they should know that there was an Old Testament before Jesus and that when Jesus comes, he fulfills all kinds of prophecies that came hundreds of years before him, right? Hundreds of years before that, that we know, we know uh, when Moses lived, we know when Isaiah lived, and they said these things that could only be true in the, the 30s AD of this man, Jesus of Nazareth. 
So he fulfills these Old Testament prophecies. And what does he do? He comes, he lives, because he's God himself, he comes and lives a sinless life, right? Uh, he, he alone loves the Lord his God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, with all his strength. Um, he's righteous. He's truly righteous in a way that you and I have not been and will not be, even, even once we're saved. Um, because he's the righteous God himself, right? He's not just a fallen man. He's, he's not living a sinful life. He's, he's living a sinless life throughout the Gospels, we see. And then, the, the crucial part, literally, he goes to the cross and he dies in our place to pay the debt for our sins. So, before Christ, God justly renders a verdict on your life that, that you stand guilty here, here are the offenses you've committed. Here are the righteous things you've omitted, you've failed to do. Here is what, here is, here is the, the verdict of guiltiness towards you. The penalty for sin is death, right? We, we know that. You know that. I know that. And Jesus comes and dies in our place on the cross to pay the debt that we deserve for our sins. So, Pastor Calvin this morning uh, from Deuteronomy cursed, cursed. Um, you you want to tell your friends that Jesus Christ was cursed in my place, right? Cursed is every man who is hanged on a tree. Um, he endures that curse for me in my place for my sins, which he didn't commit, I did. But he goes in my place, and then. Just a just a couple, just a chapter really before before this in Matthew's gospel, he came back from the dead, and he proved that everything he said was true. Right? He proved that everything he's been preaching throughout Matthew and throughout Mark and Luke and John's accounts, everything is validated. Everything is true, and he rises bodily from the dead. So you don't you don't want to forget that when you're having coffee with a friend. Uh, don't just don't just stop at Jesus died for my sins. He also rose again for our sins. And he's alive right now. Like right, right now. He's alive. So in rising from, from the dead, he proved that he has authority even over death. Okay? That's, that's the third point. I've, I want to explain Jesus Christ to them. And then the last thing, the, the fourth thing that I want to I want to put in front of my friend or my coworker or my my sibling is now how do you how do you have to respond to this that I that I've shared with you this news that I've that I'm sharing with you this message that I'm putting in front of you it's incumbent on you to respond to this in some way and the right way to respond to this is really a, a two-parter there there are two right right ways to respond to uh, that gospel presentation, and it's faith and repentance, right? And two sides of the same coin, if you think about it. But faith is just trusting, trusting in Jesus. Uh, you can say that faith is confidence that is based on evidence, right? So this right here, whole lot of evidence that we've got, whole lot of other extra biblical evidence that we we've got for the Christian worldview, for the resurrection. Um, all of this is evidence, and I'm deciding, I'm seeing it, I'm saying, yes, I think this is true, I believe this, I'm putting my faith in Jesus that, that all of this is true, what he says, 
and I'm putting my faith in him that when he died on that cross, he really did die in my place. He really did take my sins, and now I don't bear them anymore, and I don't have to fear the penalty for them anymore because he's taken all of it for me. And it's it's not... Um, I remember having a, a conversation on an airplane with a guy a few years ago, about four years ago, and he one of the things he, he mentioned is uh, he, f- he feels afraid. He felt afraid because he felt like his faith was weak. Uh, like he, he knew about the Bible, he knew about Jesus, but sometimes he, he would feel afraid because his, his trust and his faith in Jesus uh, wasn't that strong, I think was how he said it. And all of us in this room our faith is going to do this, right, throughout our lives. It's going to fluctuate. There will be seasons of life where your faith is doing awesome, uh, feels really strong. It's very easy to read your Bible and trust what God says. And then maybe six months later, you're way down in in a, a valley, and it's so much harder, and your faith is going to feel weaker. But it's not the... It's It's... It's not the strength of your faith. So this, you're going to be like this your whole entire life. Some of you older brothers and sisters, you know this. You can look back and see this. But it's the object of your faith. It's, it's not, your, it's not the, the strength or the weakness of your trust at that time. It's the one that you're trusting in. It's Jesus. So he's the object of our faith. We're trusting in him. And then we are also what it means to repent we're we're turning away from everything that he we're turning away from everything that doesn't line up with what Jesus wants what God wants for us and how we live so that doesn't mean um the the word for repentance it means having a change of mind having a a change in our thinking um and when you because you've had this change of mind because now you're trusting in God uh your heart has been changed, the Spirit is working in your life so that you worship God rightly. When that happens, that means that necessarily you're going to turn away from the ways that you were living before, the things you were worshiping and loving before. So other other things that were true of you before your life with Christ are going to fall away and weaken. And it doesn't mean it doesn't mean sinless perfection, right? We're going to continue to fall down and sin all throughout our lives, but we live a life of repentance, so we're gonna we're gonna get back up every single time we sin, right? Every time we sin, we're going to confess, Lord, I've done this again. I'm truly sorry for it, and I'm going to turn away from it and and trust in Jesus to to cover this offense also. Um, this whole church. Right, Every single one of us are sinners, and heaven is full of sinners, but it's full of repentant sinners. Right? That, that's what defines churches, and, and what's true of heaven is everyone who's there is going to be a sinner, but they're a, they're a truly repentant sinner. No one, no one who is an unrepentant sinner will, will be there. So that's why that's, those are the really crucial parts of of our response is trusting, putting our faith, and and repenting and turning away. So, so those are the four boxes that I try to check. I, I try to mentally, I've got them in my mind, and I'm trying to check those four boxes 
as I'm having coffee with a friend or a coworker, having lunch with a coworker, I'm trying to trying to tick all four of those boxes: God, and man, and our sin, and Jesus Christ, and your response to Him. And those four things, that that list, is I want I want to give that to you all as a really solid, like a concrete wooden axe handle that you can hold on to and you can take out of here and you can use, right? You can, you can really use this in conversations this week that you're able to have with, with coworkers and with friends. So that was part one. That's everything I wanted to share with you uh, from, from part one. And now part two, I want us to look at in in this, I know I know that that was basically a big overview of this whole book, right? And we haven't actually been in Matthew spe- spending time on these verses. But I wanted to look at two sentences that Matthew says that give us, they ground us and they give us encouragement and they reassure us in sharing this good news. Because I'm guessing that you guys, like me, it can be scary to sit down and have, have these conversations. What's the other person thinking? Um, am I going to get this wrong? So, so what can hinder you, what can hinder me from sharing the gospel with people, from having, having these kinds of conversations? Um, I suppose it could just be apathy, right, and us not caring. That's a, that's a major problem, right? That's something that we need to repent of if we're just, we feel completely careless, could not care less about the the unbeliever in front of us, um, but I'm guessing that for most of us, most of us here, the things that are going to stand in our way is not knowing or not feeling like we know the content of the gospel. Those four those four points, um, not feeling confident that we know it, or or the fear that we're going to get it wrong, we're going to miscommunicate something to the person. And thankfully, you can, those are things that you can study. Those are things that you can try to memorize. Maybe, maybe those four points on, on the list I've given you are not the most helpful for you. Or maybe you've studied this quite a bit and I have something that I think is better already. That's great. That's fantastic. But you can, this is something that you can study and kind of have a list in your mind before going into a conversation. But, I think some of the other fears that we can have, we can we can be afraid because we don't feel confident in ourselves. Uh, our focus is is on ourselves. Maybe you're comparing yourself to others. I know, you know, as I'm sitting having coffee with my friend, I could think to myself, man, my my New Testament professor in Louisville, he could be having this conversation so much better, or a pastor friend of mine could be having could be explaining this much clearer to my friend. But that professor and that friend isn't there. He's not there in front of my friend having coffee. I am. And so, so I want to do this the best of my ability. And I don't want the focus to be on myself and on, you know, how am I doing kind of a third-person detached examining view. Um, I also don't want to be afraid of how the person is going to react to me, right? They could, they could react any number of ways. Uh, they could react negatively. They could throw a cup of coffee in my face. They could, you know, extreme extreme cases. They could haul off and and slug you. Um, 
I mean, we, we even see that throughout the book of Acts, right? When, when Paul and when the other apostles and deacons share the gospel with people, they don't always respond positively. I think another, another reason that we can sometimes feel afraid to share the gospel is thinking that I try, I've done this before or I've tried this before and it, it didn't go very well. It didn't go the way I hoped it would. Um, I didn't, I don't think I saw God do what I hoped he would do. And now I'm kind of gun shy from, from doing this again and putting myself out there. And I've probably missed other, I'm sure I've missed things that can hinder us, right? Reasons that we can be afraid to have, to have these kinds of conversations. So maybe you can, you guys can even discuss this later on with, with family, with friends. Um, what are the, what are the specific fears or the specific reasons that hinder you personally from, from having these conversations with others. But now my, my goal here is to encourage us all, right? So we're going to look at Matthew 28 at these verses, and I have two, two short sentences that I want us to look at that I, that I think are going to encourage us. So the, the first one is in verse 28, I'm sorry, verse 18. In verse 18, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So all the authority in heaven and all the authority on earth, all the authority in the state of Michigan has been given to Jesus. It's been given to him by God the Father. Even if it doesn't look that way, right? I, I know, and you could, you could dwell on the politics of the state of Michigan and just feel forlorn that Jesus doesn't have authority here. But that's not true. It's, it's, not, it's not dependent on what we see around us as we look around us. So the, the Greek word in this, in this sentence, when Jesus says all authority, the, the word for authority can have a few different shades of meaning, but basically mean, it, it basically means the right to command or control something. Um, sometimes in the Bible, it's going to mean the, the power that a ruler has uh, a ruler exercises power, or people in high position, they exercise this power because of the, the position, the office that they're in. So if you think of when Jesus is on trial before Pilate, uh, Pilate is getting frustrated with Jesus, and he says, Pilate says, don't you know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? He's thinking of the, the authority that he has as the Roman governor there. But in this verse... In verse 18 here, Jesus says, all authority. And so this verse means Jesus has, this is talking about total authority in heaven and on earth. Uh, Total command, total control. Um, In that conversation with Pilate, Pilate says, don't you know I have this authority to release you or to crucify you? And Jesus, Jesus responds to him. He says, you wouldn't have any authority over me at all in your governor position, you wouldn't have any authority unless it had been given to you from above. And here in Matthew, we find out that all authority has been given from above, from the Father, to Jesus Christ after after he's been crucified and risen. So he has authority even over the the person's response, right? As you're sitting at coffee and you're you're running through these truths that you believe, Jesus has authority over how that person responds, whether they throw a cup, a cup of coffee in, the, in your face, 
whether their heart has already been softened because of other things in their life that you don't even know about. Um, he has authority over their response, and he has authority to bring people to life, right? Just like he's done for all of us in this room. He, he has the right to decide to give somebody faith and repentance. So that's, that's the first thing that I really want to encourage us to bolster us because we lose sight of that so quickly, don't we? We, we lose sight of it because it's something that you can't see, right? It's not, it's not visible um, as, as we're going through life here. You guys in Michigan, us down in Kentucky, I mean, it is so easy to forget and to, to look around us and feel like Jesus doesn't have authority over, over what I'm seeing he doesn't have authority over these circumstances uh, because things are not going the way that I, I know. I know what God's will is, and what's happening is is not in line with God's will. So this must not be. This must be some place where His authority isn't isn't existing. But the apostles felt that way at the cross, right? Jesus' disciples, His followers, the women following Him. If you were there on Calvary, you would have thought, my goodness, this is, God is not, God is not, his authority is not being followed here. And yet we, we know that all of that unfolded exactly according to plan, right? Even, even though it didn't look like it to us. So that's, that's the first thing I really want us to remember is that his authority, all authority is his. And he's an authority at your kitchen table, across the across the table from the person you're trying to share with, um, in a coffee shop, in a restaurant, he has authority over over your words and over how that person is going to respond. And then the the second thing that I want us to look at, the second encouragement for us is the very last sentence in Matthew's book. He says, "I am with you always." even to the end of the age. And uh, again when I when I get scared having these kinds of conversations as I'm as I'm sweating profusely and hoping the other person doesn't notice, it could be, you know, it could be a a tall muscular alpha male or it could be a 10-year-old girl in you know, uh, our church's youth program. As I'm as I'm afraid of how they might respond, Usually it's because it's because all I see is the person in front of me, right? The the person who I'm trying to explain this to, who I'm worried of, of what they're thinking or uh, what's going through their mind right now. All I see is them, and I don't see the one who's been given all authority in heaven and on earth standing right next to me, right? I don't see him in the room. I forget that he's promised to be right there with us always, even to the end of this age. Um, when he when he says I am with you always even to the end of the age I know that can that can get colored I mean I, I wonder if you guys have had people in your life that you wished had been there for you you wished they would have stayed and been there with you when you needed them and that that can lead to fear right you if you experience that with a person we we our relationship with God, all of that gets colored by our relationships with people, right? And I think that's why we have so many promises in the Bible that 
don't be afraid because I am with you. Um, fear not, I, I am with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And, and right here, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Um, again, thinking through the book of Acts, thinking of all of Paul's trips, um, when he's, when he's on trial, uh, at the end of, at near the end of, of Acts, uh, first when he's in Caesarea and he, he has to stand trial in front of Felix and Festus and later on when he gets to Rome, uh, I think at the end of 2 Timothy, second, we think 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul wrote before he died in Rome. And he, he says to Timothy, um, when I first stood trial, no one else came with me, at, at, no one else appeared with me and stood by, stood by with me at my trial. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So he is with us always, even to the end of the age, even in that coffee shop, uh, I mean, if he's going to be with you in a courtroom, uh, in in the most, you know, the most high stakes of settings, how much how much easier is it for him to be with you at a coffee shop or a kitchen table as you're trying to to share this with your friend? So don't lose heart, friends. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart in sharing the gospel. Don't lose heart when it feels frustrating or discouraging because you've tried before and you haven't seen the results that you've wanted to see, he really is working out everything according to his plan. And one day we're going to see how it all brings him glory. So he's right there with you. You can go into scary circumstances with him. He's going he's gonna to go into them with you. So we don't have to be afraid. So let's, let's pray. Father, Lord, Father in heaven, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the good news that you've given us, that Jesus saves sinners. Lord, thank you that um, for the repentance that you've granted everyone here who has turned and repented and trusted in Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would continue to grow our faith, grow us in faith, and grow us in repentance as we continue to struggle and sin uh, day by day, Lord, we want to walk more closely with you. Lord, we want to be faithful to the commission that you've given us, that you've given your church. We want to have these conversations. We want to be witnesses. Uh, we want to share this good news that has changed our lives. We want to be clear about it. We There are lots of things, Lord, we've talked about them that we can be afraid of. Uh, so whatever everyone in this room, you know us. Uh, whatever different obstacles each of us has or feels, uh, whatever fears we feel when we go into these situations, please uh, meet us there, strengthen us in those areas, cause our fears to shrink and cause our sight of you to grow, Lord. Uh, cause us to remember that you are there with us and that you will never leave us and all the authority in heaven and earth is yours. So I, I pray for all these people, Lord, all of us, as we as we go about this week now, as a new week begins. Um, I know the semester, if, if there are students here, their semesters may be ending soon. Uh, teachers, their semesters are ending. But work continues. Family life continues, Lord. Uh, I pray for each and every one of us as we as we do have opportunities. Cliff mentioned we have the we have many opportunities in front of us already, Lord. But we need boldness. 
So please give us boldness, give us courage to share your gospel faithfully. We pray in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. Thank you all. Apostle Paul says there are some who have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. And now we need to be bolder in our witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Take your hymns of grace, turning to 378. 378 as we close our day together. Soldiers of Christ, arise and put your armor on. 378 hymns of grace. Let's stand together as we sing.